Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row, a podcast like no other, different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Welcome to Notes from the Back Row. It's me, I'm Jenna. Yay! <laughs> we run a tight ship here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's Dan. Hi, Hello. Dan. It's me. <laughs> um, I'm here today. It's been a while, guys. Yep. And I'm talking to the, the audience right now. Don't, res- <laughs> don't respond, Dan. I'm talking to the audience. Okay. Okay. <laughs> No, it's been a while, and and uh, you know, and Dan can talk. It's fine. Um, back row, what a website! Thank you all for um, sticking with us throughout this year, which was a bit of a weird year. We were just talking about how we were all a bit finally pandemic fatigued this year, yeah. right? Yeah, I said it was like the first year. I was like, no, this is this aligns with my lifestyle of not wanting to go out, and everybody else was getting <laughs> yeah. hit by by cabin fever, and then like a year and a bit in i was like oh this is the like feeling of cabin fever now it's like delayed and hitting me <laughs> right that's exactly <laughs> how i feel and and so i guess our site well you guys were great you guys have always been so good with putting out podcasts pretty much every week every other week and uh and they're all really fun and good so thank you yeah, we were able to find a way to do the like cream of the cruds where it's like, we don't have to do any pre- preparation for this. <laughs> Just hit record. <laughs> and, you know, we'll see what next year brings. I think, yeah. I think everything, I'm like leveling out again. I'm getting back into the productive groove. So, and now we have our lovely Patreon, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to start giving out our, well, by the time this episode comes out, people might at least know that they're getting swag. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's also been hit with delays of the same thing with every everything else in this world. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, check out back-row.com if you haven't already. And, and you can read about Veronica's double feature of love and anxiety, mm-hmm. which is audition and possession. Yes. Two movies, great, evil. And then mm-hmm. all those great cream of the creds. Yes, do Learn it. Learn about all of those new releases and buy them for your loved ones or yourself <laughs> treat yourself <Yeah>. hashtag <laughs> for the holidays but today today i was like i want to talk to our resident canadian <laughs> about martin short and yeah. martin short as in movies specifically which is not really where i even think of martin short <laughs> yeah um, in part because I guess I was just thinking about Martin Short in general, and maybe it was because of watching his um, Only Murders in the Building. Oh my god! Yes, which was very cute and fun, and you know, I just I just like seeing him and Steve Martin really, and so I was, just, you know, and then thinking about all these great reviews that were coming out of how good Martin Short is in Only Murders made me start to think about just how good Martin Short is. And then yeah. I started to get into this jag of like Googling Martin Short. I was like, where can I watch Martin Short and things? And like, <laughs> we all know about Clifford. Yeah. Actually, we we should have like a back row Clifford extravaganza. Yeah. At some point. But that's not what this episode is. <laughs> yeah. But... And it, it, it was uh, good timing because I also had just watched Only Murders in the Building. Um, 
and Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez make such like a delightful like trio at the center of that show. Like, like obviously Steve Martin and Martin Short together is a no brainer, but I thought Selena Gomez was great in that show and brought such a like cool energy to that like trio of characters and just really, really had a charming fun time watching that show. I was Emma and I were doing it like every few nights to you know like we weren't trying to binge it we were like okay we gotta this is such a cute delightful show like we we really want this to last (laughs) so we weren't just doing like five episodes a night or whatever (laughs) yeah so when you were like oh you'd mentioned you were reading a book and that you were thinking about the movies and it started me thinking about uh, how I've seen Martin Short over the years and yeah it was also just funny like you were like, let's talk about the Canadian. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't the Canadian that wants to talk about the Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I so I went out and I bought his biography because it was just one of these, like, I don't, I've always liked Martin Short, you know, he, but he's never been like the, the focus of my thoughts, mm-hmm. I guess is the only way to put it. Um, but I've always liked him. So I was like, let me read his biography. I'm sure it's fun. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was uh, his biography, by the way, which came out in 2014. That's not, anything terribly new yeah Uh, but it's called i must say my life as a humble comedy legend (laughs) and uh it's pretty much exactly what you would expect it's mostly him talking about all of his sort of funny celebrity anecdotes like running into people or like sticking his foot in his mouth with like famous people he talks like extensively about hosting christmas parties with like the entire world there and things like that. And, and it's actually, but because it's Martin short, it's very charming. Like it's the sort of thing that could seem, I guess, sort of obnoxious. Yeah. Even if Steve Martin, did (laughs) (laughs) but when Martin short does it, you're like, ah, it's funny and cute. Yeah. Um, Like he talks about meeting like Paul McCartney and, and um, George Harrison and, and at like a party and like George Harrison passing him a joint kind of, you know, it's like stuff like that. And you're like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then he also talks about his life, which I didn't know anything about. And it turns out his life is just really, he had this really horribly sad upbringing, um, which he would uh, disagree with immediately because he, he has this whole thing about this, but basically his, both of his parents died by the time he was 20. Mm. So he had a really, what he calls a really great childhood and a wonderful upbringing. He, you know, loves his family and, and he has a bunch of brothers also. Oh, he has an older brother that died before that. And I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like he had, it's just all of these, like this, like string of tragedies that hit him all before he turned 20. So by the time he was 20, he was, and he was the youngest of his family and he basically was just like alone in this giant house. And so, turned to uh doing plays and just decided you know he he like got a you know some friend of his father his father was some business you know man and and so mm-hmm. the the family friends were like we have a job for you don't worry and he was like i hate this yeah <laughs> and he figured let me give myself one year to like live my dream and and ended up getting cast uh in the canadian production of hair which essentially took him down the road which is where he met a bunch of people he dated mm. gilda radner yeah and you know yada yada sctv <laughs> yeah totally and and I, like i don't know a lot about that era of his life but i did know that he like 
like you'd mentioned, he like he wasn't really intending to like go into the arts. Um, but that like I think I read on Wikipedia something about like he wanted to be like a social worker. Yeah. And, and then yeah, like ended up in some productions. But I also read that he had I didn't know this actually, but he, he had some like small roles in American sitcoms and that I was like, Oh, I want to go see these sitcoms in the like I think it was seventy nine or eighty or something, because I didn't even to to me as a Canadian, like, you know, born in, in the 80s and grew up late 80s into the 90s, like SETV was just everywhere in syndication. So like up until a point in my life, SETV was like, like, I didn't even think about Saturday Night Live, you know, like right. I, when I when I got into like high school and my dad had a Saturday Night Live tape um like a best of like the first two seasons and so like eventually i came around to like oh saturday night live is this big institution but for like my younger years it was like yeah sctv <laughs> like everybody knows that that's the big comedy show right <laughs> right yeah yeah it's it's funny because he also like it, it's really interesting to i mean I, I like this it's a short enough biography it's really easy to read and and he talks about his hesitation in joining all of these things and how much his um situation with SNL even sounded a lot like Bill Hader's so he didn't even mm. last nearly as long yeah. it's just that he was just miserable <laughs> because there's just so much pressure so he'd go out there and do a great show and then just like immediately get this like you know cramp in his you know yeah. stomach it was just like he couldn't handle the the pressure of it and in SCTV he also thought like well I'm an actor I'm not going to do sketch comedy yeah. until one day he realized like actually sketch comedy is great and I think this sort of all of this um, his ability to be flexible about all of this from going to TV to going to movies to going mm -hmm. to stage to to comedy is, is essentially what's kept him relevant, which is what he he's pretty upfront about that. You know, he, every time he like he sort of almost makes it or he makes it big, really big on one thing and then sort of has a dip and has to switch to the other thing. And so I like that. I like actors or performers who have that level of flexibility I just think that's always really cool and inspiring, yeah. you know, like kind of like like Steve Martin, too. He, but in different, you know, Steve mm -hmm. Martin has his whole like banjo band and <laughs> yeah, and he writes books and, and all of these things. So I always I always appreciate hearing about that. Yeah. And then he also like the weird thing about this biography is just that he has all of these really good lessons about number one, dealing with grief. Hmm. Um, because it ends too with his his wife dying of cancer yeah. after forty somewhat years of marriage or you know some something like that and and he talks extensively about his wife and how great she was and so you know it, it's really a it's a sweet but also a strangely sad book because mm -hmm. of all this you know stuff he gets through but he has this whole system he details about like basically every week he gives himself a, a rating in certain aspects of his life and then if something is you know, if he realizes it's almost like weighing yourself on a scale, you know, every week and seeing like, all right, I went up one pound. I may as well watch what I'm eating this week. And <laughs> but it's like the emotional version of that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. But yeah, I, it was just it was it was a really good biography and, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I find it interesting to hear that about, you know, SCTV was him thinking I want to be an actor and sketch comedy is like like something that isn't my passion. And then his stint on Saturday Night Live was so short, but like I also read that it was kind of credited with bringing a lot of people back to SNL after Eddie Murphy left. And it's just this interesting kind of like 
I don't know, this this weird sort of artist struggle of like, I'm doing this really successful thing and I don't know if it's exactly what I want to do. And then uh, now I'm doing Saturday Night Live and, and I maybe know that sketch comedy is something I want to do, but I'm finding it hard because of like the way Saturday Night Live is built. But at the same time, like is doing a good job of bringing more people back to this show that was like kind of struggling after Eddie Murphy. So it's like, yeah, it's just like that thing of never being able to like accept what you're doing. Right. It's so hard. <laughs> like, like I know that from like going to therapy myself of being like, I don't know how to be nice to myself sometimes. And it's just like right. so relatable to be like, even somebody doing this like amazing work can have that knot in their stomach. And like, I, I do think that Martin Short, even throughout his career of having all these very, very outrageous characters, so, like you want the person to disappear into these these wild characters. But at the same time, with with Martin Short, there's always that kind of like soft human center there that you can yeah. always still see. And it that doesn't break the character. You know, I don't know. Well, you know, that's another thing that's kind of cool about this is that he sort of acknowledges that the thing that really made him famous was the stuff that he used to love doing as a child alone in his bedroom, which was to... <laughs> essentially serenade himself karaoke style to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and that was just like all he did. He recorded entire Frank Sinatra cover albums and his mom, like, you know, just let him do it. And yeah. it was encouraging and, and this sort of stuff. And yeah. And then like essentially everything that came out of that, you know, it's like even him being on a stage and doing hair like to SNL and being a character at Grimley or whatever, like, you know, based on, mm -hmm partially people that he knew growing up or attitudes he saw sometimes his father seems to come into to things he didn't even realize it was there yeah. so it's cool he also definitely goes through all of his like most famous characters and sort of details how they came to be and there's like little two-page comedy sketches that he writes out for them and yeah you can, it's just funny because you have to like you have to read it in the voice kind of <laughs> But yeah, the whole thing is just it's it's a it's a fun biography. You should totally read it. And yeah. and it's relatable, even though it's it's full of this like I was on a yacht with Mike Nichols <laughs> and but it's also it's just so good. But yeah. um also just reading through their Wikipedia and stuff for this episode, like you mentioned about having that kind of like string of almost making it, you know, I I didn't even realize that they had as many kind of not not false starts, but like had that sketch comedy show in 1994, a Martin Short show in 2016, tried to do a variety show with Maya Rudolph, like like had all these little projects that like were maybe not super successful. I just forgot how many of those there were in his television career, because I, I think of him yeah. as like SCTV eventually was on SNL for a while, was always like in interesting like cameos like Arrested Development or I think they were on Weeds and some other shows and just kind of like was always around but like I my mind always kind of forgets the the like oh yeah Mulaney had a sitcom and they were in it like yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah it, he was in and all of that stuff I remember his thing with Maya Rudolph was really cute uh, I didn't I never, see it Mulaney I avoided I heard only bad things yeah <laughs> even though I like John Mulaney a lot but um I, there is something about watching like very talented people fail that is I, like, I don't, I don't want to see it, but yeah. it does make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so transitioning here into like, 
when I was a kid and SCTV was always on, I, I always thought it was super funny and, and super silly. And and then eventually I got into movies with them. But around the time that they started doing Jiminy Glick was was when like I had this like dip in Martin Short appreciation. And I don't know why, like primetime Glick to I think was like 2001. So like I'm in high school and I don't know, for some reason, I just did not click with Glick. I just like <laughs> like it was it, in my mind. It was like that story of Tommy Lee Jones on the Batman set with Jim Carrey, where he yeah, there's like a story of him on the set where he really hated Jim Carrey. And he just looked at him. He was like, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> <laughs> like that was my reaction in high school to primetime Glick. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the book, he says that the only reason he wears a fat suit is because he didn't want to be recognized. And at this point, I think there is there's some lead up to it where he was messing around and, and uh, you know, people just kept saying, hi, Martin. Short. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to he had to disguise himself. And he was in some I think it was like some production. He was in a costume or and someone was yeah. like, oh, you're totally unrecognizable in that. And he, something clicked for him. Mm -hmm. So that's when I think that it came out of that. I'm kind of with you. Like the the fat suit stuff never really excited mm -hmm. me in any sort of way. And, and the Glick, I mean, we'll totally talk about the movie, the Jiminy Glick movie, <laughs> which is weird. Um, but I like the celebrity interview stuff. Yeah, that I like. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think maybe just as a teenager, I was like, what is this? Okay, he's in a fat suit. All right, haha, ha, moving on. But like, maybe I would have more of appreciation for it now if I went and watched some of those interviews. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the fat suit is just like a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's the Sasha Baron Cohen thing where when he was doing like Ali G or even Borat, it's so, it's like a really understated costume. Mm. that it I found that like more easy to latch on to than <laughs> when it's like, you know, someone so clearly yeah, I don't know. in a big suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's one part in this biography, which is kind of why what inspired mm -hmm. me then turned to Dan, which was that it, he calls um, these three movies, his leading man years where he also claims that he essentially almost makes it because they're not, it's not that these are terribly unsuccessful movies. They just didn't launch anything. <laughs> and he thought this was like his one, you know, this was going to be it. Yeah. And so that was Three Amigos, Inner Space, and Cross My Heart, all yeah. of which happened within basically, I think they all shot in the same year, but they get released roughly with 1986, 1987. Yeah. And so I was like, let's watch these movies again. Because mm -hmm. I haven't seen, I mean, I saw Three Amigos and I saw Inner Space. And it had been so, so long since I had seen either of them, especially Inner Space. <laughs> so I was just really curious. And so, yeah, let's talk about like Three Amigos. Is okay. this something, was this like a childhood favorite of yours? Is this anything that you... So this was one of those movies where everyone I knew loved it. And as as I was growing up, I had seen it and enjoyed it. But it wasn't one of those movies that I was like... I'm going to watch this all the time. It was a movie that like I saw and I thought was funny. And that was kind of it. I was just like, yeah, that's funny. The those three guys are very hilarious. And I enjoyed it at the time. And <laughs> I think I revisited it like three or four years ago. And I had the same kind of reaction where I was like, I think this is funny. But I also 
think John Landis movies are too long. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, I like forgot that John Landis even directed this. And it's funny to watch this too now with more knowledge of just like John Landis (laughs) and realizing that, you know, like he murdered three people and then got three amigos, which has like 8,000 guns. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) On set. And especially this is coming off of the stuff that just happened in Rust and like, you know, this like hyper awareness Mm -hmm. of all of this right this second. But. So that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I do think that like it it's funny. I like in my memory it's like a a funny movie. <laughs> the last time I remember watching this was sometime in college on TV and I remember just not caring for it whatsoever okay. and I don't but I don't know why. I can't like you know I've my Letterboxd, I um I used to have a Flickster account back okay, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I got Letterboxd, I tried to transfer everything over from Flickster to Letterboxd, but Flickster's so buggy, some of the stuff didn't <laughs> even <laughs> I, I like hand did it too. I got lazy, but um <laughs> I didn't have any notes on this other than like a two-star review. And so I don't know why I hated this at all. I mean, or maybe like it was just something where I only watched part of it and then gave mm. up or, or like, I just don't even remember. So coming back to this and watching it with like, essentially like it felt like a brand new movie. There were parts of it where I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> but like, it felt like I had never seen it before in a lot of ways. And, and I like loved it. <laughs> nice. There was all of this stuff where I don't know, like the, the whole silent film beginning Mm-hmm. And maybe it's also because I had my like year a couple years ago where I got really into cow- like singing cowboy movies. Yeah. And so this does actually a really great like it doesn't even seem silly that they're in these outfits, <laughs> you know, like the that whole aspect of this and this being this sort of like, what is it like 19 like 20s, 30s movies that was that was said in the 80s. I feel like there's a handful of those. Two yeah. That come out weirdly, which could be its own episode definitely <laughs> where suddenly everyone got nostalgic for the 20s again it's like mm-hmm. it happened in the 60s and then it happened again in the 80s but um <laughs> yeah and so i don't know just the stuff where they're like singing out in the in the range and like all the animals come along and all the animals <laughs> are fake yeah or like that the singing bush and it's just like this oh, really yeah. cheesy puppet you know and like all of the <laughs> weird puppet aspects of this i just thought were so charming and so funny I just loved it. I just, it was like 100%. It reminded me of like Pee Wee's Playhouse, but with like a, a much meaner sense of humor yeah. and a lot less um, irreverence, but but, it, but still a kind of very similar irreverence to Pee Wee. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is one of those, like a lot of the movies that I got really into from around this area comedy wise I got into because of my dad and I just think maybe because he didn't watch this all the time was maybe one of those things where it never became one of those movies for me but yeah like I my memory of it is that like I used to be pretty into John Landis in general uh like his comedy movies like Blues Brothers and Coming to America and Trading Places and Werewolf in London like those were all like big movies for me when I was younger so yeah this kind of slotted in there as like an enjoyable movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I think this time around, like something clicked and I just sort of realized, and I'm going to like chalk it up to Steve Martin because I Mm. feel like it's a script thing that like Steve Martin wanted to write about singing cowboys and everyone was like, you can't do that. Steve." Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, then everyone else had to punch it up and turn it into more of an eighties comedy. So it's like (laughs) this mix of like 
jokes about this whole era, like cowboy film era that I that I really love and, and yeah. think is is very funny, even though I I genuinely love it, mixed with that kind of the the perfect kind of eighties irreverence humor. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. This like totally did it for me this time. Yeah, and I really like this era of Steve Martin's writing. Like I really like Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and The Man with Two Brains. Yeah. So it yeah. really it really fits there along with like I'm gonna do my noir, I'm gonna do my like B movie. Now I'm doing a, a singing cowboy movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to. I want to rewatch all of his. That that that's that to me is the Steve Martin. I mean, it's not even that's not even like a controversial opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Inner Space, man, Inner Space. Oh. I have not seen. Since literally this was and the the one and only time I saw inner space was that I had a substitute teacher in science class and I want to say it was like junior high. Yeah. And they fast forwarded through most of it, but they played us all of the interior scenes because they were like, this is kind of neat. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is, is inside you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is science. Yeah. And like I just remember as a kid thinking, well, this is silly. But also just like the visuals never left me, like like haunted me. So it was funny to watch this, too, because I don't think I even knew Martin was in it. Yeah. Oh, and I have to say real quick, just to talk about Three Amigos, Martin is like so charming and fun. And Three Amigos, that's what we're really meant to talk about, right? (laughs) I just love his like the young one even though mm. he's the same age as everyone else. yeah <laughs> that's a good gag but uh <laughs> yeah and then inner space like and you're a huge you guys are big joe dante guys i love joe dante i love inner space um to, to me inner space was a real uh we had this channel in canada called first choice superstation and it was just like a you know cable pay cable like kind of movies are always on kind of channel when those were huge and um they always would show ads for it we didn't subscribe to it but they did one of those things where it was like oh you get this channel for free for the weekend and then we so as a family we just taped every single movie that they played (laughs) and then so i had like inner space and monster squad and a bunch of movies that i just would watch over and over and they were always showing ads for inner space on in between movies so like it got kind of like him like like martin short his kind of like pratfally antics in the movie were kind of burned into my brain from those ads like him at the grocery nice. store trying to get out of the grocery store and like uh yeah just like his his kind of like physical live action c- cartoon performance was really like burned into my brain at a young age did you have you like when did you have the moment of reckoning about just how like bizarre the non inside your body parts of this movie? Are? <laughs> I just in my memory, it's it's it was just like that. It was like such a cartoon to me, like him. Yeah, like his I, I the image of him. I can't remember what scene it is, but like like air gets blown into his mouth and it like pops open or something. Yeah, he he has that like when he changes his face. Yeah, and so like that kind of like like weird cartoonish but not cartoon live action thing was just and and obviously that makes so much sense when I got older and was like oh Joe Dante that's just what Joe Dante does he's he's doing Looney Tunes right like in all of his movies, um 
it's like I was able to kind of reconcile it that way in hindsight. I was like, oh, OK, now I know why that movie was so kind of like crazy. <laughs> the Dennis Quaid stuff is what really is weird to me. Yeah, because <laughs> he's just such a but it's also it is also cartoony. Like I can't even get <laughs> Tuck upset Pendleton, about it. That's a good name, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an astronaut, right? Yeah. He has to be named Tuck Pendleton. <laughs> But the the fact that this movie ends up being this bizarre like self help guide for mm. like sad sacks, yeah, <laughs> like chauvinist alcoholic husbands, mm-hmm. and then like Meg Ryan being she's like kind of really cool in this actually. Yeah, you don't really understand why she likes him whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so strange, and and then and then mixing that like yeah like really Looney Tunes Martin Short performance, yeah, which is great. He's also I just I. He I, he really sells it in a weird way. It doesn't totally. feel out of place, even considering all the craziness happening. I, it just makes me wonder, like, why did they even bother with like most of the Dennis Quaid storyline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and to me, this is also a movie that like isn't obscure. It's all actually like very popular. Yeah, but also feels like it's in the mainstream still a little like under the radar like it's got like 30,000 or something logs just on letterboxd and i know that like growing up a lot of people i knew loved interspace and like people that love gremlins and joe dante and stuff always found their way to interspace but it still kind of feels like one of those not quite as popular as you expected to be movies. Like if I walked up to somebody and was like gremlins, they'd be like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're, but then you say interspace. They were like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, for me, it was just like, I, my parents didn't introduce, maybe it just didn't play on TV enough here. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it's my parents never like, this wasn't on their radar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't know watching it now. And because I'm also going through this sort of like, Sam Raimi appreciation moment where like I just loved all of that you know that the heavy prosthetics Mm -hmm. and like that cartoonishness and that you know that unreality reality that is so consistent that it just feels natural totally (laughs) and I don't know I mean I it does it totally does and and Martin Short like uh, he's trying his best like you do you do get the sense that he's sort of trying to break away from his sketch comedy stuff, even though he like Joe Dante keeps pulling him back. In. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also find it interesting that three amigos in inner space, you know, he calls these three movies with cross my heart, his leading man era, but like three amigos in inner space, that's kind of like a co-lead, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he was being a little facetious, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It, it's well, cross my heart. Yeah, this is really the this is this is the this the. is the leading man shot for sure. <laughs> and it's so weird. I hadn't even heard of this movie. Had you? Yes. And so Emma and I watched something from the 80s last year that we both really liked. And it was kind of a I think it was like a romantic comedy adjacent and and I was like, I got to go find like all the other, you know, movies that I haven't seen from the 80s that are this kind of like, you know, romantic comedy style mainstream 80s thing. And I downloaded like a shitload of these old movies and Cross My Heart was one of them that I just was like, oh, Martin Short and Ed O'Toole. Like, 
I think I found it on Letterboxd when I was looking through, you know, filtered by 80s by, you know, comedy and haven't seen or whatever. And so it, it was like on my radar enough that I knew its name and its cover, but like I wasn't getting around to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like right. this, this kicked me in the butt to be like, oh, yeah, I got to watch that. <laughs> what did you think? I honestly really liked it. And I thought it was interesting in a in in a, a few ways. And I thought overall, I thought it was like quite above average for this kind of era of romantic comedy. And I think it was a really bold move to like front load your romantic comedy with that kind of like we're both liars. We don't want to let the other person know the kind of person we are. Cause like it starts off with like a third, like 30 minutes of like not unlikable, but like close to like, I don't, I think maybe it's a personal thing where I just don't the whole first half hour of this movie. I was like, just fucking tell them that like, don't go to somebody (laughs) else's house and pretend it's your house. Like what the fuck are you doing? Like it was really annoying to me, but I actually liked that they front loaded it with all this stuff so that when it did sort of take a turn I don't know. I was kind of like there with the movie and and rooting for them to kind of come together and be a cute couple because I had gone through them being like, I'm going to resist who I am the whole movie. And it did kind of turn ultimately turn into just an any other romantic comedy where once you finally leave the house and it becomes like, I got to get the car back and all this kind of like wacky 80s comedy stuff. But I don't know. I thought it was like above average. I thought they were great together. I don't know. I thought it like once it gets past that, it became very charming. And and I was surprised, to be honest. (laughs) I guess I should also say that this movie, if you couldn't figure it out from what Dan just said, is about essentially a man and a woman going on a a first date or no, a big third date. My bad. This is the third date because that's the that's the sex date. Yeah. (laughs) And um, they yeah, it's Martin Short and Annette O'Toole. And they both have a big secret that they don't want the other one to know. And for Martin Short, it's that he just got fired. He thought he was going to get a promotion and he got fired. Yeah. So he he thinks he's a loser, like doesn't like his house, doesn't like anything like very much like down on himself doesn't like his life sort of guy yeah and then Annette O'Toole has a she has a child from a previous relationship and she doesn't want him to know because if he finds out he'll just dump her because men have problems yeah (laughs) that's like the that's it and then um yeah and and so the whole movie is them going on this date sort of in real time right it's it's yeah throughout the entire night and yeah it is interesting it, it's a cool concept. It reminds me of um, John and Mary, this movie, oh. John and Mary from 1969, which is Dustin Hoffman and Mia Farrow. And okay. it's about a couple. It's kind of like the American Hollywood remake of Breathless, the okay. other 60s movie, Peter where Yates, it's essentially yeah. a, a one night stand. And then the next day um, they start to talk. And so it's just them hanging out in their apartment mm-hmm. all day talking and learning more about each other because they didn't know each other. And so, you know, it, it's also, it's like, you know, it's a sort of like new wave esque movie where it's just people hanging out and talking. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's cool about this one. Except the problem with this movie is the dialogue sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like the dialogue is kind of shitty. And 
they have this big secret and yet the movie doesn't really know what else to do about that. Like, and, and I think a movie like this has to thrive in the small talk, you know, you have to really like, it has to feel natural. It has to feel real. And it doesn't really ever get there. Yeah. I, so it's above average. I'm with you. Like I, I don't, I didn't hate this or anything. Yeah. I thought this was cool, but like, it just doesn't, it doesn't really. I kind of bought into it not being like, like, like I don't disagree with you about the dialogue and it not being believable, but I kind of bought into the like eighties sort of heightened dialogue in its own reality, I guess. Like, yeah, like I agree with you. The dialogue is, is very like written. It's very like, okay, I can picture the person who wrote this script, you know, like writing it and being like, yeah, like (laughs) (laughs) I just wrote that line. That's a barb or whatever. And, but, but I kind of enjoyed the, the way that the movie plays that sort of heightened dialogue out in this kind of like tit for tat, you know, way that they sort of get into when they are at his quote unquote house. Cause they like, he basically pretends that his friend's house is his. And, you know, that leads to a lot of kind of like kooky comedy where it's like, he's got to pretend that Paul Reiser's stuff is all his stuff and yada, yada, yada. But when it, when it became like, them trying to like psych each other out into whether or not they're going to have sex. Like I kind of bought into it in that kind of heightened eighties screwball kind of like weird. I don't know. There, there there was something about it that I just thought worked for me. Well, the thing that was killing me was just how often the the script kept bringing it back to them talking about the, the concept of total honesty yeah. And it was just, it just felt like very like script writing 101. It's like, well, they're dancing yeah. around this. And so they're like, you know what I like in a burger? Total honesty. You know, it's like it yeah. just kept, <laughs> it was like they were injecting this idea. It was like it was the only thing the script had to come back to. Mm-hmm. And it kept coming back to it. And it's like, all right, get on with it yeah. already. We all know there's, there's other things you could even explore after they find out, which eventually it does. And eventually yeah. it gets to. I, I agree that this movie doesn't necessarily know how to get at the stuff that is is there it just kind of circles around that stuff a lot and i definitely cannot disagree with that like there's there's a movie here where it uses all this this dialogue to springboard into like an actual discussion about like men and women in the 80s or whatever and this movie does not do that it just uses (laughs) It uses that setup as a springboard into like some lightly wacky comedic escapades um, and a fairly like expected, but I thought kind of charming, you know, finale where where it ultimately is about like they should just, you know, I I just kind of like enjoyed the like charming like they should have just like embraced themselves like I I thought the the front loading of all that stuff and how it led into where the movie ends. I've, I've seen movies where when it turns into the like wacky eighties comedy, I, I like my like stomach drops and you're like, Oh, you had it. You're almost a great movie. And then (laughs) you, you know, and then you became every other movie. And this movie was like, 
oh, you had something interesting and you became every other movie. But like I was kind of charmed anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does. It does things like I like that. it That sex is awkward in this movie and yeah. not. Yeah, you know, really. 80s, like, you know, montage <laughs> when, music. Cool. When he and... throws her bra out the window. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. I don't the one the the thing I thought was the the use of music in this movie was weird though. Like there's one drop where they just like play talking heads. This is I wanted to ask you about this cuz you watched it before me and you messaged on Discord like that that was so weird and I was watching it and I was like this is just any old 80s montage. You just had like Here's I didn't the thing. <laughs> I didn't understand why it was so weird. It's just that it 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 drops in and suddenly I was like, oh, this is the movie it wants to be. Really? And then the song stops and then just nothing. It's like and the montage continues, but there's no more music because they ran out of song. But <laughs> but it was just kind of like a montage of him like cleaning up or something, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was just, just kind of any old montage. But it could and it should have like heightened. It should have like mm. leaned into it. You know, it was okay. just very like. Like, here's a really great song, and here's a really <laughs> mediocre montage. And then, oops, we ran out of song, but but he's still cleaning. And it, yeah. it, it's just weird. <laughs> it was just strange. I, I mean, like, I, you know, it was, it was like, you know, it's fine, but it was yeah. just like sort of jarring because I was like, I, I thought, like, again, like, I thought, like, oh, now it's really going to go somewhere. And it just mm -hmm. doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, no. <laughs> but I don't know. It, it, this was, I think this is sort of worth your time i think people should watch this one this is good for ripe for rediscovery as they like to say yeah yeah i, I like I, I think i was i think carlo watched it as well and landed like a half star less than me i think you both landed like at a three star and i was a three and a half there was just i don't know there was i maybe i was just in the right mood you know like i was in the mood for like a charming little comedy and i liked the two of them together and it just kind of carried it through the stuff that doesn't really go anywhere <laughs> yeah I would say probably as, as as far as I'm I won't speak for Carlo, but as far as me, it's probably that you've seen way more of these '80s rom coms than I have, and Maybe. so you know how bad it can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's for definitely me, this times, is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where I'm like I'm I'm rating things on a curve of like, well, it's not that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I then, I and then yeah were you just gonna say and then i watched a couple others that you ended up watching too yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i i hadn't seen captain ron in a really long time but i also had always been meaning to watch three fugitives which was another one of those movies that was on my like you know like 80s wacky comedy family adjacent that like emma and i can watch together kind of lists and so three fugitives is a remake uh by the same director of the original uh what was the, the original was les fugitifs um with uh gerard depardieu and you know there was a real string of these let's take a french farce and remake them through the 80s and 90s and even into the 2000s and and let me tell you that when i put three fugitives on before this podcast and that first scene happened where they are robbing the bank and everything's going wrong. I was like, this is going to be an amazing, delightful movie to watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then when the rest of the movie was not anywhere near as good as that first scene, <laughs> yeah. it was a bit of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it really is a good scene. It's so funny. And he like throws the bag up and it catches on the thing. And it, like 
it's just such a like fun farcical thing where they get tied into each other and you you can you can kind of see like oh if this energy keeps up like this is going to be like really fun but then it just kind of flatlines yeah (laughs) i just this was so bizarre this is just one of these i don't even know who this movie is for it was so strange i think in, in his um biography martin short just sort of mentions this briefly saying that nick nolte was like also sort of unknowable throughout Mm. the entire movie i he doesn't have anything bad to say about him but i'm pretty sure he says he was like drunk the whole time and then he like met him later on in an elevator and he made some comment oh man i should have like saved it but it's something where he made some comment because he saw him in the elevator with him and they he wasn't like seeing martin short so martin Mm. short made some voice like Oh, look, there's that idiot Nick Nolte. And Nick Nolte said in like a really sad, like without even looking up, was like, you wouldn't be wrong or something like something really <laughs> oh. sad. And he felt terrible. He was like, hey, man, no, it's me. Yeah. Oh. But um, what a weird film. Uh, yeah. This was so strange. I just I, don't understand who this is for. It's like these. And this happens fairly often. I feel like where you get these movies with like grown ass men, like who were trying to like out macho each other and then they shove a child in there and i'm like yeah. who is that for <laughs> who is the child for i don't yeah. get it this is this was very like uh what is it uh, hollywood pictures uh you know disney in the late 80s early 90s decides they're gonna make pg-13 movies that like the family can go to and they say fuck once. So it's okay. <laughs> but there's a kid there. So it's also charming. So like the parents aren't mad that they're watching this movie, but the kids like it when the guy falls over, like, <laughs> right. you know, and to me, I don't know about these. Uh, I think uh, the director's movies have been remade a lot. Like, I think they remade the toy. They remade uh, the dinner for schmucks or whatever. I, and and I feel part of me is like, do these movies work when they're remade? Like, I don't know if they do. Like, I feel like it's such a specifically French kind of comedy. And yeah, I feel like there's just something lost in translation when you try. I don't know. Like, I've seen a few French farces and French slapstick farces and like they can be really hilarious. But like, this ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like Martin Short is well cast in something like that just yeah. because of his Jerry Lewis mm-hmm. love, which, mm-hmm. you know, totally works in that world. But yeah. um, Nick Nolte, it's just when you get a guy like that and you're like, do slapstick and then he punches someone, you're like, ooh, you know, like it's just <laughs> not funny. Yeah. And so it's rough. And then the whole little girl story is just so sad. It really drags the movie down. Yeah, so it's just, you know, what am I laughing at? It would be yeah. one thing if she was just a shy little girl, but they're like, no, she's traumatized for life, and that's yeah. why she doesn't speak. You're like, oh, great, funny, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, and they try and do the little, like, family dynamic thing, and eventually Martin Short has to dress up as a woman, and it's like, oh. Yeah, like I had some laughs here and there, but overall I was like, what a disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt about Captain Ron. I think you like Captain Ron more than I did. Uh, yeah, I I want to love it. And because it is such a like, again, 
that like Disney adjacent Hollywood pictures or whatever company, you know, making the the family movie with one F bomb and, you know, <laughs> one shower sex scene, <laughs> one shower sex scene, uh, which I do not remember. <laughs> and so when I watched it this time, I was like, whoa, nudity. <laughs> <laughs> the X rated version of. Yeah. Run. But I, I think. For me, this movie gets a lot of mileage just out of Kurt Russell being Kurt Russell and Martin yeah. Short being the the goofy straight man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kurt Russell is really great in this. Yeah, actually, so I mean, funny. maybe if he had been in Three Fugitives, it could have helped. Yeah, in a way, like because he has more of that that goofiness and, and is also looks like a badass. So like that would have worked better, but way better, I think. If if he was trying to sell the I need to go straight. I'm a little bit of a sad sack, but you can also tell that I was like a, a guy who could fuck some crime up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would have worked. And then, but then Martin Short feels miscast in, the, in Captain Ron because it's just that he doesn't get a chance to be, I mean, I think he's, a, I don't think he's a bad straight man, but I think that there is so much of that, you know, his character, I don't, it's not, he's not straight man enough, yeah. you know, like he keeps having the, the cartoonish, like, you know, Marge, you know, like yeah. this. <laughs> he keeps having the blow up moments and like, but that's all he gets. And so if there had been more push and pull, mm -hmm. the problem yeah. with Captain Ron really is the script. Like, I yeah, think I mean, it's a boilerplate script. Yeah, I think Martin Short's doing a better version of the stuff that you were saying in Three Fugitives, where it's like guys trying to out guy each other kind of thing like i feel yeah. like he's doing a better version of the like uh not flawed but the like oh i like my masculinity is being threatened by this man and like that's gonna kind of send me into a spiral i think that works for for him yeah and then also making it be like he's a bit of a straight man compared to kurt russell kind of works but you're right like again they don't go anywhere with it. It is just the like, you know, pseudo Disney mainstream family comedy turns into an action adventure kind of climax. Like, oh, no, now, like, here's like <laughs> we got to get away from the people shooting at us all of a sudden <laughs> kind right. of movie. I, and I love that they end up in like Cuba. And yeah. There's, like Red scare shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I just. Very, also very strange and, and long, a little too long for what it is. Yeah. I wish it had been more just about like the two of them posturing. I, I like actually the the climax is better w when it comes down to that, because then Martin Short sort of gets a bit of a win that mm -hmm. then Captain Ron undercuts and in, in, in a nice way. Yeah. And and like that's more fun, you know, like that's mm -hmm. that's more of what this should have been as opposed to like my daughter's a whore. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think you're right. I think if there was more of an arc to Ron, you know, not to like try and make Captain Ron a better movie through analysis. But yeah, if there was like if there was like, you know, Kurt Russell by the end of the movie kind of recognizes that Martin Short needs a win and pretends to break his leg. Like if there was a bit more of that through the movie of Ron kind of starting to understand their relationship and how they can ultimately by the end of the movie like become like a like a like a friendship that works where they complement each other in certain ways like there maybe would have been more here that would would have been interesting and kind of like effective as a movie <laughs> it should have been it should have been ron 
trying his best to not win and winning er- inevitably every single time. Like, yeah, like a, like a that. three fugitives type thing. Like yeah. I'm trying not to be like the sex bomb and, the, you know, and then, and this like woman, Martin Short thinks the woman is like looking at him, but she's actually looking at Kurt Russell. Like that would make more sense if Kurt Russell wasn't just like, like in the movie, like, yeah, I'm going to go bang her. (laughs) (laughs) Like if he was like, no, I'm trying to get Martin Short to like understand that he's cool or whatever. And it just keeps blowing up in my face. Like that would be funnier for sure. But I think we have to remake Captain Ron. Yeah. (laughs) I think we got a way better version of this. Yeah. Because that that is weird. That scene is weird. Like Martin Short Short thinks she's looking at him. And then Kurt Russell's like, I guess I'm going to go fuck her. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. He literally just walks into the sea and just yeah. like picks her up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is like funny in a very like top level way. It's like, yeah. ah, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, what a film. Mm-hmm. Captain Ron. <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot of people that love Captain Ron, and I wish I was there with them, but I mostly just love Captain Ron as a character. Captain Ron is a perfect meme. Mm-hmm. As as a Kurt like Kurt Russell meme film, yeah. Like I want to take other Kurt Russell films where he's being straight and then edit in Captain Ron at the <laughs> end of it. Yeah, you know, like like that's what I want. But yeah, as a movie, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't say that much more for Jiminy Glick and Lala Wood either. Yeah, you watched this. I did not. Oh, you didn't because no. I. You shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> you know what? You I think you should watch his like interview stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I will say about Jiminy Glick and Lala Wood is just that it opens with this really, really good David Lynch impersonation. The whole thing is framed like Twin Peaks and Lost Highway. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because it's it's Martin Short in like all full prosthetics as david lynch okay and that is just good it's so good it just makes you wish that the whole movie had been about that. yeah <laughs> because it's just so funny and it's so it's so silly and stupid and just exactly what you want and then suddenly it's all about jiminy glick and his wife and his two large sons his two large adult sons right that's the meme the yeah which is fine. It's all like his wife is sort of amusing because it's just this like it's such a type of person. Mm-hmm. But you can't really spend like, you know, inevitably because it's a movie and nobody knows what else to do. And his Jiminy Glick's whole thing is about interviewing celebrities. Well, how do we fill the time? Oh, uh, well, he's in a fat suit. That's funny. You know, it's like yeah. that's when it does everything that like, you know, I don't like. <laughs> yeah. And and the sort of part of Jiminy Glick where he's just like horny and weird and like humping people is also like it's it's you know it has its limits. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so um, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in this that I just didn't get. Though when he's actually interviewing people, it just makes you wish they did more of it. Like it should have been more of like again like Ali G or or uh, even Borat. Like movies, like the I think those all kind of perfected this sort of thing. But yeah. um, I don't know. the The best part, actually, I would say, Google him as David Lynch. Like, find it on YouTube and just mm-hmm. watch that because it's really funny. And then the bloopers for this movie are really funny because he's just making everyone because all the celebrities are in on it. Yeah, you know, they know who he is. So <laughs> besides, you know, I mean, it is amusing that he's at TIFF. 
Yeah. So like I enjoyed like that, you know, it's like he's like, finally, I'm going to Toronto, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, it's there's a whole murder mystery aspect of this that, again, David Lynch is like, yeah, is is narrating. And then there's this character. I don't even remember who the actor was now. John Michael Higgins, maybe there's this character who plays essentially like this Russian, like this weird Russian boyfriend. Mm. of an actress i think it's him okay andre divine maybe yeah it's like he just basically walks around as like you know it's just that typical kind of russian yeah you know it's like he they they play with the fact that his english isn't perfect but in like a a funny way and like you know it's just like a fun their (laughs) english isn't perfect that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) no it's there's this very i don't know i've worked with a lot of um russians and there's a very like blunt way of saying things yeah, yeah that yeah. like it's just you know like you look like like piece of shit idiot you know and it's just like well thank you you know and like that's a compliment kind of you know it's like that sort of joke where you know yeah. it's like this really like it's like to take already a really blunt sentence and make it even more blunt yeah, by yeah. cutting out all of the frivolous like and is <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's like that i think that like that stuff always makes me laugh i enjoy that, that kind of stuff but um but that's all I got for this. This is really it's it's pretty silly. I I, I like you know Jiminy Glick I, as its own thing. I I like mm-hmm. in, in pieces, but it's a little rough to spend a whole movie with him. Yeah, and it's interesting to me to think about this movie because in my head it was big, like in my head it was like a big deal that they were making a Jiminy Glick movie. But now <laughs> when I look at the box office, it made like thirty six thousand dollars total. and i'm like i guess maybe i'm just thinking of the like the character being a big thing on tv a lot and i'm just rolling that up in the idea of the movie and the movie was like nobody gave a shit about the movie but i'm just thinking it was a huge deal because because his character was all over tv for like 2001 to 2004 or whatever i don't know (laughs) i don't know i didn't ever realize there was a movie of this until Every we were all talking about, well, he was a lead in all these other things, and I was yeah. like, God damn it! Now I have to, now watch, I have to watch all these, all these things. <laughs> but <sighs> uh, but yeah, this I don't know. Like I really, it was kind of fun watching all these things just for for Martin Short. You know, mm-hmm. it's like again, he's just someone who I always I always like, but I don't um, I don't like think of as I don't know as like someone to like go down and watch everything he's in, and yet at the same time, like when I do, I'm I always love it. Yeah. Like something else I watched um, not too long ago was the Cine Magic Magique, which is like the Disney Paris or something mm. um, like r- ride. It was like a movie ride. I think they just got rid of it really recently. But Martin Short and Julie Delpy. Are <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and it's on YouTube. And it's like 25 minutes long. And it used to be like it. And it's basically them going through a history of film. Oh, okay. And it's it's a Disney ride, so it's silly and it's like dumb, but yeah. like it was it was really kind of fun. And it was also it also made me realize I think that was part of why I bought the biography. I was like, Martin Short's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Martin Short is like way better than you know, and I, and I always <laughs> you know, his his sketches make me laugh so so much. Like Jerry Lewis sings Bob Dylan is like a fucking forever for me like i love i love that kind of even like when not even his character is half the time it's like his like weird little sctv side stuff is like so funny to me 
Yeah. Uh, I, I do believe that Martin Short for a while was also the host of the Epcot Circle Vision thing. Really? In, the Canada, in the Canada Pavilion where it's like go in and you see all these screens around you and they talk about Canada and he's hosting like you can look at them like talking about Canadian things. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. That might be on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we'll go watch that one too. <laughs> yeah. Can I log it on Letterboxd like this other one? <laughs> Maybe. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that it? I guess. Everyone go read the Martin Short biography. Yeah, Appreciate I want Martin to. Short. He's mm-hmm. still here. You should go write your local Martin Short a letter. Yeah. Tell him how much you love him. Yeah. What is your what's your favorite Martin Short short sketch comedy? Sketch? Yeah. Oh that's so hard. Was Martin Short in the going down the road spoof? Let me see. Because the on SCTV there was a spoof of the Canadian movie Going Down the Road, and that's really good. But I don't know if if Short was. I think that was John Candy and Joe Flaherty. Uh, yeah, I'm torn now. I'm trying to think of SCTV things. SCTV for me is very like I saw it a lot, but I like picking out a favorite thing is really hard but you actually you know what there's a non-sketch thing that you can go look up on youtube uh let me find what the name of it is sctv cast versus uh crew softball game and it's a video from 1982 of all the members of sctv uh playing baseball cast against the crew and like uh rick moranis is just going around interviewing everybody on the the baseball field and like interviewing John Candy and interviewing everybody from SCTV. And that is just like nine minutes of just like, look, the funniest people ever being hilarious in their spare time. <laughs> oh, it's just awesome. a delight. Yeah, it's good. I'm totally going <laughs> to Google that. Yeah. Yeah. I what think, about you? I think as far as SCTV that, that just for if I think of Martin Short and SCTV, his Jerry Lewis stuff is just so good. The scenes yeah. from an idiot's marriage. <laughs> or um jerry lewis on the champs Elysees, like that's that's the stuff that is just in the bob dylan one like i mentioned like you just gotta you gotta do it it's just so it's so good so thank (laughs) you martin short yes we appreciate you yes we do you're a national treasure in both america and canada totally so i guess go to backdashrow.com for everything else and become a patreon and all that yeah, please. <laughs> Happy holidays. Yeah. Goodbye, eh? <laughs>